Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for Pharmacy Hot Topics podcast. This podcast will cover what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy, including regulatory, clinical leadership, and many more areas important to pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and student pharmacists. My name is Allie Fay. I am a clinical pharmacist at the Family Health Centers in Asheville, North Carolina, and I will serve as your host today, as well as one of your panelists. Um, with me today is Todd Hodges, who is a primary care physician here at the Family Health Centers. So thank you for joining me today, Todd. Thank you for having me. So let's kind of get started on today's topic, rural primary care focus in medication access and medication assistance for our patients. So I guess, first off, we can just kind of talk about the pharmacy model here at Family Health Centers and kind of the patients that we serve here. Um, I know that our practice site that we work out primarily is in Candler, which is a few miles outside of the Asheville city limits. And we see a lot of rural patients. I typically get referred a lot of Medicare patients, but I don't know what type of patients you normally see from a day-to-day basis. Yes, it's a generally older population of, you know, 50 to 100 years old, uh, mostly Medicare, some private insurance and Medicaid as a a lesser amount, but for the most part older. Yeah, and a lot of them come from, you know, the working class, blue collar workers um, have worked really hard all their lives and are just kind of living out the rest of their life on their property, doing things that they love to do. Um, One of our patients was still tending to his garden the day after having a heart attack, if that gives you a an idea of the patients that we see here from day to day. So pharmacy services kind of revved up a few years ago here. And so we've been doing different types of pharmacy referrals and kind of growing the pharmacy services here since around 2017, 2018. So what type of patients do you normally refer to see the pharmacist here? Usually it is uncontrolled diabetics, COPD, people that need to be on blood thinners. Um, and it the pharmacy helps with explaining things, uh, helps with cost, helps with coverage. And so it's uh, it's putting the referral in through the EMR or talking to um, Allie out by herself and just making the referral. Mm-hmm. Pretty much if it involves a medication, it can be referred to pharmacy services. I do, yeah, a lot of diabetes, patient education. We do um, osteoporosis referrals, do some hepatitis C referrals, Medicare annual wellness visits, depression, benzo tapers, pain. Um, so pretty much anything that involves a medicine for, for sure. So in the day in the life of a pharmacy COVID, it's a little bit different in a virtual world, but for the most part, the way that we set up our visits, uh, the patient is referred for the pharmacy services. They're placed on my schedule. I room the patient, do most of the visit for whatever that referral is for. So if it's for medication access, you know, gathering the patient history for whatever the issue is, if it's their diabetes medicines, their inhalers kind of collecting some of that information, coming up with a solution, uh, assessing the problem and kind of coming up with a plan of attack. And then I will get in contact with the primary care provider, whether it's virtually or in person. And at that point, we kind of discuss the plan and then the primary provider, Todd, will go in and finish up the visit. And so for your part of the co-visit, what do you usually do? So the main part is discussing with Allie what the plan is and then calling the patient usually five, six hours later in the afternoon and asking if they have questions, asking them open-ended questions about, you know, 
what are you supposed to be doing, what changes were made, just so they can repeat it back to you. And they usually always have been, everything's been answered. So it's usually a five to 10 minute conversation. And then making sure they're aware of the follow-up and the goals. And then Allie and I communicate in person or over the EMR. Mm-hmm. And then the final note is submitted by the provider. So I'll forward the note over with all the documentation from my part. Um, they'll add in any additional documentation, any sort of physical assessment part, and then sign off on the visit. So as far as prescribing medicines for patients, especially our patients at our practice site, what are some of the biggest barriers or frustrations that you've encountered when trying to prescribe things? Mainly trying to guess what's on formulary. And so it's always a cost issue. And then the education with how to use the medicines or uh, how to use the inhalers, how to check sugars, what is diabetes, also assessing compliance and if people are actually doing it and then going over the side effect profile. And so it's been really helpful when I diagnose somebody with diabetes, that's all they hear and they don't hear the rest of my recommendations. And when we follow up with Dr. Fay, you know, that can be reinforced. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once the new medicine's prescribed or they do get sent to me, especially for the medication cost issues, once they get to me, they've tried to fill, you know, a guideline recommended medication. So, you know, for diabetes or, or for COPD or asthma, and either they have a high deductible plan, which I've seen a lot more of this year in particular, especially for our Medicare patients, but even some commercial plans have really high deductibles this year. They weren't expecting their copays to be higher because maybe they've only been on generic medicine. So they just assumed that the copays would be the same when, when really they can be a lot higher or towards the end of the year, once they fall into the donut hole. So they've been doing fine on whatever the medicine was that was prescribed. And then now it's starting to be July or August or even sooner, they're falling into the donut hole. um, And then they can't afford to continue on the medicine for the rest of the year. Um, So if a patient comes to you and they say a medication is too expensive, what are some of the things that you've done in the past? Wow. In the past, it was usually, let's try another one. And I would guess and send it into the pharmacy, try to give them samples for a week or two and then try to follow up over the phone with my nurse if it's affordable. But the gaps in care were enormous and it usually would be in six months they would show up and not be on anything if the medicine wasn't affordable. Mm -hmm. And so I guess, how has that changed using the pharmacy services more? It's been a lifesaver. A lot of gaps have been filled. People understand why they're on their medicines. We're getting more affordable options you know, the formularies change each year so we can jump through those hoops as the uh, insurances change what they want to cover. And patients are staying on their medicines um, more compliantly. And so then they're feeling better and they're happier. And then when you're saving a patient money, they're very happy. And so I always have them meet with Dr. Fay at least once and try to do everything we can and see if, it, if it's worth, you know, doing more of a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've also seen from some of the other doctors that, you know, if the patient can't afford the brand name medicine, they'll just put them on whatever generics are around. And a lot of times, sometimes the generics can have more side effects or have fallen out of favor for the guidelines. And a lot of hands can feel tied that you're stuck with these medicines that we don't always like to go to. But now being able to kind of expand and investigate what some of the barriers are to the cost issues um, has definitely opened up the opportunity to prescribe some more. And then also in the past, it would come back as paperwork where I'd have to um, complete some information or send in chart notes or call the pharmacist. 
And those things just didn't happen or I was working a lot more during lunch or even in the evenings filling that out. And with Allie's help, we've really been able to, you know, get this done appropriately the first time and get it submitted so the patient can get their medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for certain. So for some of these patient assistant programs that we've started doing more and more often, did you know about these before? Is it something you saw in med school or residency or anything like that? We heard about them. We weren't adequately trained, nor did we take the time to learn it. And so it was something we heard that was out there, but never had access to. And I would say that it was very similar, at least from my pharmacy school experience, you know, we didn't really get too much of an education on what some of these programs, that these programs really existed or that there were resources in that way. And so I really kind of learned on the fly during my residency, just because of the pharmacists I worked with, that they knew about the programs. And then it came down to just kind of teaching myself what the requirements were and the little nuances behind each program. You know, I feel like if, if we're able to get more information out about these programs and other practices are able to use it a little bit more often, then just more patients will be impacted and able to use these medicines. So as I guess as far as um, getting patients enrolled in patient assistant programs, once they get to me and they need to be on a medication that has a program. A lot of the manufacturers will have programs for uninsured patients or for Medicare patients. So for our commercial patients, I'll usually direct them to those coupon cards or, you know, look at the different tiers and coverage for their plan. But for our uninsured and our Medicare patients, we have the opportunity to enroll them in a patient assistant program. The application is usually pretty straightforward. We just have to fill out some patient demographics, their insurance information. There's a prescription portion involved in which most of the programs require a signature from the primary. So that can sometimes be a hang up, especially during the virtual world. But, you know, previously, since they were in a co-visit type of setup, it was pretty easy to get the signatures on the day of their visit. And then um, a lot of the programs will require proof of income. And so that can be the most recent tax return, social security statements, if they don't file taxes, or most recent pay stubs, if they're still working. So once those documents are filled out and submitted, then depending on the program, you can hear back within a couple of business days or in a couple of weeks. Sometimes they'll reach out to clarify some information or to get an updated prescription, especially for the sliding scale insulins. I've seen that they'll normally request a more clarified prescription. But otherwise, once they hear back, the uninsured patients are typically enrolled for 365 days, so an entire year from their enrollment date. And then the Medicare patients are enrolled until December 31st of that year. The medications, most of them are delivered to the patient's house. There is a program that they deliver directly to the doctor's office um, for certain insulins and injectable medicines, but usually they'll get sent to the patient's house. One of the hangups that we've had is that patients do have to call in their refills, kind of like a mail order pharmacy, um, every three months. Um, so we have had some patients get a little confused and forget to call in their refills. So it's something to make sure you remind patients that, or if you have patients that are forgetful, um, we've had to call either the nurse call or I call to, or they just come in in three months and we send in their refills for them. And another, I guess, little pearl is that if the patient doesn't have Part D, um, they kind of count as an uninsured patient, which loosens some of the restrictions. Some programs will require some out-of-pocket spending. Most of that is outlined on the application. 
So when they come to me for their visit, taking all that information into account, I just make sure that all the documents are squared away, that I have their proof of income, a printout from the pharmacy of their out-of-pocket spending if that's needed, all the spots have been signed by the doctor and by the patient, and then everything has been faxed in appropriately. So one thing that has been new is that we have a pharmacy technician that works in the office and she's been able to check in a little bit more frequently than I was able to on the status of some of these applications and that the patient received everything in the mail, did their refills and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the general application Mm -hmm. process. I don't know if you've encountered anything in addition to it. Not really, other than a lot of chart reminders back and forth between Allie and the doctors just to keep chipping away with what you need and reminding the patient since I'll see them different visits and Allie will call them or see them. And so it's just, you know, like she said, getting everything in order. Mm -hmm. And Todd is really great at putting reminders in the chart, especially around December to get the patient in for another follow-up visit. And so that's kind of an important piece of it is to make sure that the patients actually get rescheduled at the end of the year to redo their applications. Otherwise there can be some gaps in care. So just making sure that you're staying on top of that as, as far as patient follow-up. So I guess patient stories, have you had any sort of, you know, patients that you can think of off the top of your head that have been impacted by seeing the pharmacist for medication access? I think it's more of a general um, improvement. You know, our whole goal is quality care, helping people feel better, access to medicines, keeping them out of the emergency room, education. And it's just been a huge improvement. It's a big burden off of the doctors to have to try to do all this. And it's just decreasing in, you know, COPD exacerbations because somebody keeps running out of their inhaler or uncontrolled diabetes and doesn't understand how to give the insulin correctly. And those are the main ones we see. We do some chronic pain with education with Narcan and trying to come down on their dosing, which has helped keep people feeling better. And we do a lot with Eliquis and the DOAX and just getting people who it's a burden to come in to check an INR every couple of weeks when you're 95. And if it's safe to be on a, a DOAC and not have to monitor that, I think it's really improved the quality of life for a lot of our patients. Mm-hmm. And we're also able to try to catch them when they're coming out of the hospital and started on a lot of these new medicines. Cause you know, oftentimes they'll be started on a DOAC or started on a new inhaler or insulin and they'll come to me for their transitions of care call. And I'll be able to try to catch some of these cost barriers so that they don't get rehospitalized, you know, within the, that two week or one month window. So yeah, I feel like I know a lot of these patients now. Um, and so being able to kind of understand what their barriers are, their concerns are, they can use the money for other things, less food insecurity, um, able to pay their bills a lot easier without feeling like they need to stretch their medicine or sacrifice something else um, has been kind of, I would say, a success in encountering a lot of these patients. It's also helped, you know, one of our goals is, you know, people's A1Cs over nine and trying to get that down as a practice with drastically improved since Allie's been helping us. Uh, And then also, again, the teaching for the inhalers and injectables and how to check sugars has been amazing. And I have people tell me every time I see them, you know, every three to six months, they're so happy they saw Allie saving money, feeling better, taking medicines. You know, I have not had one complaint about being referred, even if there is a small copay and people want to go back. They want, they like the education and understanding why they're taking things and what the goals are and just reinforcing it. So it's been a 
a very big win here. Overall, hopefully this short little podcast can give some insight on, you know, how us as pharmacists and then our fellow providers feel about helping these patients access medications that previously they probably weren't able to, as far as knowing those resources and utilizing those resources to get those guideline recommended medications that we know will work for a patient. So anything else to add? No, I just think it's a great, you know, benefit to the patients and that's what matters overall. And, you know, we continue to try to, you know, update things and make it more efficient. And so it's a good idea. Yeah. So I think that's all the time we have for today. So I want to thank you again, Todd Hodges, for joining me and discussing utilizing medication access for our rural patients. Uh, So that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you again, Todd Hodges, for joining me today. Thank you. In discussing hot topics in pharmacy. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.